Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Richmond Jr., and today I'm welcoming Spencer LaJoy. Spencer is a folk pop singer-songwriter, violinist, and vocal loop artist in Boston, Massachusetts, who believes everyone is made of the good stuff. A 2021 Carival New Folk Songwriting Competition winner, LaJoy makes music to tell the truth and return to their body as a queer person in recovery from American Christian evangelicalism. Delivering Broadway-esque melodies accompanied by a weathered dreadnought, their performances are equal parts confident quirk and elegant storytelling. You can find out more about Spencer at SpencerLaJoy.com or on Patreon, also at SpencerLaJoy. All right, welcome to the show, Spencer LaJoy. Thanks for being here. What else would you like our audience to know about you? Oh, gosh. Uh, you. I mean, you got most of it in the bio, but... Um... Yeah, I'm I'm a musician living in Boston right now with my wife, and I'm just uh, I'm psyched to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay, I have to ask you this again off the cuff, and this is something I always ask anyone who lives in the Massachusetts area. This may mean nothing to you, so forgive me. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you a Red Sox fan? Listen, me and sports, we don't. I love watching people be passionate about something. So if I engage in a sporting event, it's usually me watching other people, you know, be really stoked about it. So the answer to your question is no, but I love people who love the Red Sox. Okay. I can live with that. Uh, <laughs> what about you? I'm a Yankees fan. So that's why I ask. <laughs> Would have had to have immediately ended the interview right there. I think I have a Red Sox hat. I have like the the Boston, you know, the because we got them when we moved to Boston to be right. to fit in. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, regardless, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, share if you would, kind of about your faith journey, what that's looked like in the past, and what that looks like today. Yeah. So I grew up in a big old family, and my dad was Catholic, and my mom was Presbyterian. So I. It was presbatholic is what I like to say. And mm-hmm. it was sort of beautiful. We would go, the whole family would go to the Catholic church on one Sunday. And then the very next Sunday, we'd go to the Presbyterian church and it would sort of flip flop back and forth. Both of my parents would go with us to each respective church. Um, so it didn't feel like we were having to choose. So it was sort of ecumenical, my mm-hmm. upbringing. Um, and I think theologically that made me really I don't know, whole and and healthy from a young age. Mm -hmm. I found evangelicalism, though, when I was in, you know, middle school, high school, Hmm. because I was this weird kid that was coming from a private Catholic school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was bullied um, when I hit the public school system. And something that evangelicals do really well um, is they invite yeah, um, yeah. And they – past that, wh- whether they include all of you as a person is 
maybe another right. conversation. But yeah. as a young person who just needed a place to belong, there was this group of really kind, kind young people who said, come sit with us at lunch, come mm-hmm. to Bible study with us, come to youth group with us. Like you are loved and you're part of this. And that was super um, appealing to me. So I bought and sold evangelicalism with a fire you could not believe. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah. And that it kind of was, was like that through my young adulthood. I, I went to um, Calvin college now Calvin university in Grand mm-hmm. Rapids, Michigan. Um, so I, I got a healthy dose of Calvinism there that I also bought and sold with fervor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the total depravity, um, all of that good stuff. But I mean, Calvinists also have a really robust, um, view of creation, which is, which was great for me as an artist and a young budding songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found songwriting in my young adulthood there too. Um, so that's sort of my past with Christianity. It, it was really, really important to me. And I was really obsessed with doing it right and being good and having the right theology and having yeah. proper exegesis. And um, toward the end of college, I came out first, obviously, to myself um, as bisexual at the time. And, um, you know, I, my theology completely changed. I, I think the theological framework that I had previously had no room for me to be anything but cisgender and straight. Mm-hmm. It just had no room for that. Right. It wasn't even a possibility for me. Yeah. Um, cause completely repressed. And so once I, you know, came into myself and learned more about myself, I think I had to choose, right? Mm-hmm. I either get to hold on to that theology or I get to choose myself. There isn't room for both. Yeah. Um, and I honestly don't like to think about what would have happened if I had chose what I thought was proper theology and orthodoxy and tradition. Yeah. If I had chosen that over myself, I don't like to think about what, what would have happened yeah. to me. Um, but I chose myself. I'm really proud of that. Um, and so I found progressive Christianity and um, where I am now is less Christian than <laughs> than Christian. Mm-hmm. But um, that happened sort of organically and flowed out of that initial decision to choose myself and mm-hmm. follow myself and listen to myself. And so I'm in this really sort of open and gracious place with myself and what I consider the divine. And um, yeah, did that answer your question? I got a little vague there at the end. <laughs> no, that's that's helpful. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. I really appreciate uh, I like hearing people's journeys um, and their stories. You know, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned on top, you enjoy watching people be passionate. I enjoy hearing folks' <laughs> stories. So appreciate you sharing that. Share if you would something like a spiritual practice, something that's meaningful for you, kind of keeps you grounded. Yeah. Um, I've recently discovered how to, or I'm on a journey of discovering how to get into my body. So my wife and I do like indoor rock climbing, bouldering oh, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has become a really spiritual practice, actually, mm-hmm. at least very centering. Um, I've always been 
active, but I <laughs> find activity, physical activity, very boring. With with <laughs> rock climbing and bouldering, it's much more like a puzzle, right? It's like Sudoku mm-hmm. for the body. And I find myself very engaged, very present. Um, hmm. So that's been good. Uh, songwriting is my job. Um, but the process of dropping down into my feelings um, and channeling honesty, um, that's, that's part of the craft. And that that part of the songwriting process of, of being completely honest with myself and the moment that is a spiritual practice as well. Hmm. Yeah. Can I ask you a follow-up question there? Please. You, I imagine you have some familiarity from your background at Iliff. Um, you, I'm intrigued when you say songwriting, like it's your job. Many pastors and clergy church leaders would say something like similar, like writing sermons is my job and it's easy for, for clergy, for pastors to get like, I don't know, stuck in the routine of it. Yeah. What is helpful for you to kind of, because you mentioned there's some real practicalness of like, hey, I got to write songs to bring in an income. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if there's any correlation or overlap that you know, a clergy person might be find helpful. Yeah. And I've written sermons before too. I've I've done the preaching thing and it feels very similar. So I feel yeah. like this is a like a great question. Um to be honest, I don't know. I'm currently discovering that the way I write music now is or my process now is different than it has been in the past. And mm-hmm. that scared me at first. I was like, am I becoming less of a songwriter? Am I losing the gift that I write my last great hit? It's like, you know, <laughs> have I peaked? Can I not do this anymore? Um, and I'm just learning, no, my process is just different now. So before, um, for all of my, I think the greater part of the last decade, my process was sit down with regularity, do a free write or an object write, mm-hmm. um, and every week make sure you churn out a song, right? Hmm. I had a schedule. Um, just like every week I have to churn out a sermon, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes those were great, and sometimes they were mediocre, and that's just the way it is. <laughs> um, and now I'm finding that I – just need to keep the muscle worked. So every day I do a little bit of creative writing, whatever that looks like, even mm-hmm. if it's 10 minutes, a little object writing exercise, keep the muscle active, um, keep the, and it's a spiritual muscle, right? That, yeah. that part, that, that muscle of like being honest and descriptive and observing the world and interpreting it. That is, that's the job, right? Before you put pen to paper, the job is existing and um, synthesizing information yeah. um, in a meaningful way, making meaning. Uh, that, and that's the hard part. That's, that's, that's the muscle that gets really weak if I don't practice it. Um, so now I'm noticing that just keeping that muscle active um, makes it a lot easier. Now I'm turning out like two or three songs a week because that muscle is staying really engaged. Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, this didn't really answer your question. I, so I don't really have an answer, but I think for me right now, it's noticing the way that 
I'm drawn to songwrite mm-hmm. and not forcing it so much like I used to, which was the right way for me to do it in the past. It just is not the right yeah. way for me to do it now. Well, I think I think what you shared for me at least is helpful because I think back to my own quote unquote sermon writing career, how mm-hmm. my process has changed. Other pastors who I've talked to, like the process changes. Uh, the pastor I work for right now has a quote unquote unorthodox method that clearly <laughs> works for them. Um, what is that method? Can you share it? Well, I don't want to throw them under the bus. Oh, it's very unorthodox. <laughs> You'll tell me off camera. I'll maybe. tell you offline. Yes. Offline. <laughs> yes, I will. Well, uh, since we're cu- since we're clearly getting into this conversation about music and church, let's just dive right in. Uh, I wanted to ask you, if I could, first off, mm-hmm. in your bio, you describe yourself as someone in recovery from e- American evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, uh, I want to honor your boundaries here, what you are and are not willing to share. But I'm curious – what can you share more about that and and how that might be helpful for our listeners mm. um yeah that line in the bio it's a little sound bitey um which which i love but i mean it's a little you know like clickbaity but right um i do acknowledge that not all you know christian evangelicalism is the same but what I came from um, mm-hmm. was this, you know, this emphasis on sort of proselytizing and, and spreading. Right. But there was also this emphasis on a personal um, relationship with Jesus, which is not inherently a bad thing at all. Right. Um, but there was a lot of personal effort involved. Um mm-hmm. And the brand of evangelicalism that I, and it, it isn't even exclusive to a denomination. It was just sort of a muddled, because I, I have experience in a lot of mainline denominations, like right. Presbyterians and the Methodists and the Baptists. And, but within all of them, there's a really, you know, there's this on fire for Jesus, born again, evangelical yep. Christian. Yep. And that was my, those were my people. Um I un- unironically was in this traveling worship band in high school, and we called ourselves unironically Jesus Rocks. Yeah, that's what I—that's <laughs> the brand. And um, I internalized this idea that to be a Christian, I had been prescribed transformation, and if mm. I didn't see transformation in my life, if I didn't see some sort of deep um change if i if i didn't um stop wanting people physically right which mm-hmm. was lust <laughs> mm-hmm. um as like a young person right like um if i couldn't turn off my body um mm-hmm. if i ever told a white lie um if i had a mean thought everything was under scrutiny and so i think in recovery from that for me it means that, well, inherently to say that I'm in recovery of it, what I'm saying, in recovery from it, what I'm saying is that it's still part of me a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's a script. Mm-hmm. And that script, 
I, I know, I know so well. I can recite it in mm-hmm. my soul, in my sleep. Um, so part of being in recovery from that is rewriting scripts, mm-hmm. giving myself a new story, giving myself um, or erasing the transformation prescriptions, right? And asking myself what it means to just be um, me. So I think that's what I mean when I say in recovery is replacing some scripts or getting rid of the script altogether if it's not life-giving. Yeah. That's really intriguing. You use a word, at least as I wrote it down, prescribed transformation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've experienced in similar contexts, and I think that really that really resonates at least with my recollection of of that kind of culture where it's like, you know, in, in Denver – I don't know if you came across it during your time out here or your time in broader, that kind of, those kind of contexts, like acquire the fire is like this Mm. kind of like big kind of like youth training conference event where it's just like get people riled up and go proselytize. Youth training. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just like this, again, this kind of like, if you're not hundred percent, you're, it's either all or nothing. You got to be all in on fire all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean that's exhausting, right? Isn't it? Yeah, and burnout is inevitable. Mm-hmm. And to think that a young person would inevitably inevitably burn out and then feel so guilty, yeah, because <laughs> now they, it's not letting themselves down; it's letting God down, right? Like it's so right. Oh my gosh, <laughs> um, that's a lot of pressure to be in love with a deity all the time. Um, that's a lot. Yeah. That's really interesting. The way you say that the pressure to be in love. I mean, I would use again in my language, I would say like, that's a lot of pressure to be in love with God all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, Holy mm-hmm. cow. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know about you, but like, I'm not sure I'm necessarily in love with my spouse or my kids all the time. Right. Absolutely. Not like that. If I can say that, uh, Hopefully without getting in too much trouble. No, no, no. I, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be healthy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think that, and this is interesting, if we can follow this metaphor a little bit. Yeah. My, my wife and I have been married for just like four years, but um, I know that at the beginning of our relationship, it was this like very fiery, very attached. Right. Um, I would say like codependent at first. Yeah. And... With codependency, there's, you know, insecurity on, on both sides. And mm-hmm. you need the other person to need you. Yeah. Um, but now, it's it's less that. It's less I need this person to need me. And it's like, I need this person to be themselves. And I need room to be myself. Um, and I think about a lot in my relationship with that God. Mm-hmm. At the when I was a young adult, it really felt like God was very insecure. <laughs> like oh, God yeah. Yeah. needed me yeah. to need Him, right. right? And if I didn't need Him anymore, right? I mean, that's that's my fault, right? And um, I think that by the end of my time in as a Christian identifying person, mm-hmm. I just sort of I had the this God at that point that wasn't insecure. And this God didn't need me to believe in them. Mm. So it was this sort of gracious departure, right? Mm-hmm. It was this, I had this very expansive God who, you know, who just didn't need me to need them anymore. 
Um, so it's, for me now, it's less me saying that God doesn't exist or um, that God was never there. It's just me saying, if that God is there, that God is expansive and gracious and loving and has no problem with me flourishing in myself away from them. Yeah. I mean, I'll speak for myself here. You can respond. I'm thinking to me, like that sounds like a far healthier relationship than kind of what we talked about prior, you know, where I think of like a healthy relationship is like where two people can be themselves um, without this kind of like, without this kind of like, you know, the codependency you were were to use, like without being like, Hey, I I can't cease to, or I'll cease to function without you kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, again, I'm thinking back how much you probably heard the same kind of lingo of like, God needs our worship. God needs our praise, especially around like the, you know, the music in church. Mm -hmm. Um, You've obviously spent a, a, a good bit of time, several years of higher education studying God and theology. Um, if I can ask you, like, have you found a way of talking about God? It sounds like you've hinted at this a little bit already, but I'm curious if you can flesh out a little bit more, a way of talking about God or the divine that really resonates with you. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think just, I don't have a problem with the words God and the divine. I think that the way that I think about God now is more of the, the attributes mm-hmm. um, of God, right? So I'll say I believe in grace and I believe in compassion. Yeah, I believe in love and peace and joy. Um, I believe in those those things and where they exist in the world. I have no problem saying that is divine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does that answer the question? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I appreciate okay. you sharing that. I mean, there's no answers to the questions. I, I like hearing yeah. perspectives here. <laughs> yeah. Perspectives here is what I get from it. Yeah. I mean, I often joke about this, that this is me now. I think I spent, I have like 20 years of like total educational experience, you know, like from K through master's programs, right? Right. Yeah. I've spent like, two classes outside of a Christian organ, Christian uh, educational institution. Wow. Um, you know, you've spent, you, you did undergrad, right, at a Christian-based institution. If I understand mm-hmm. correctly, you went to ILF, which is, again, yeah. a theological um, post-grad place. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on, like, I'm not sure even how that answer, how to ask a question, but, like, you know, do you think we just overcomplicate things? We, and I'm thinking as a big, huge, universal we of perhaps Christianity historically. Mm-hmm. Are we overcomplicating things when it comes to talking about God, the divine, having a relationship with us? I mean, I think we overcomplicate so much. Uh Theologically, it's so interesting to think about at one point, it was very important to me to get like down and dirty in theology, to Mm -hmm. just like really pick it apart and 
decide what I believe. Yeah. And back it up with scripture, right? And like, I guess the apologetics of it all, but not right. even just apologetics. Like in grad school, when I was already like a an out queer person, which is how I identify, and um, progressive, quote unquote progressive, um, it was still, I think, for a large part of grad school, it's really important for me to um, get into the details of theology um, and sort of systematize it. But mm-hmm. now, and it's been like this for a while, I just, yeah, I just think it's all a little complicated. And I, um, you know, I love the Lutherans because they're very um, forward about the fact that, um, you know, they're hermeneutic. They say, you know, the Bible, Scripture, mm-hmm. it's just a cradle that holds Christ. Mm-hmm. Our hermeneutic is Jesus. Yeah. That's it. And I'm like, thank you for being honest about that lens. And so for me now, my whole the- theological framework comes down to my theological anthropology, which is the fact that I think everybody is made of the good stuff. Hmm. Everybody's just mm-hmm. essentially good. Yeah, They're just essentially okay. And systemic sin, all of that, whatever, it muddies things up. We um, we really F up. You know, that's not to say our behavior is good, and that's not to say we don't need grace and forgiveness, because right. we do. Right. But I think that at our core, we are made the same, and it's good. And if we can just get back to that somehow, and that's going to take a lot of, like, reparations and reconciliation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's pretty simple to me. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't need all the exegesis anymore, and it kind of exhausts me to go there. <laughs> yeah, does I don't? Does that make sense to you? Do you? Yeah, because uh, I've I've often found myself in a, re, a I think a similar position. Um, like I've recently joked, like this is like I'm currently working for UMC Church. It's like the fifth Christian tradition I've worked in. Um, someone's asking me like, "Hey, as long as you believe the Apostles' Creed, you're cool with me." I'm like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." Hmm. Um, so it's, I, I don't, I don't want to like diminish like particularities, particularities, like, you know, obviously colleagues now in the UMC, they have some things that they, they hold seriously. You know, other traditions i worked in, they hold those things seriously. I respect those, but I'm also like, huh, you know, I want to, I want to love God. I want to love others. Um, right. it's interesting. Yeah. It, I love particularities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Um, and as far as, for, for me, it, when you ask if we're overcomplicating things, I mm-hmm. immediately think of like the LGBTQ plus inclusion debate. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think about the people who have come to be inclusive and affirming because they have weeded through the clobber passages mm-hmm. um, and have decided that scripture has given them a permission to love people. And for me, that's an overcomplication. Interesting. For me, I'm like, why do you need scripture's permission to love people? Yeah. You can probably find whatever you want. out of You can find a, um, an excuse for any kind of behavior in right. scripture. If you're in looking for it. Yep. If you're starting with, I want to love these people. Yeah. You can find it. Yeah. Um, so just start with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to kind of make a 
shift here. Yeah. Uh, Spencer is also an incredibly talented musician and has done a lot of work, at least as, at least as I see it in the church around music. And I'm curious, I would at least interpret music as a passion of yours. I'm assuming that's true. <laughs> how, how can, how can music in the church be used for good? And then I'm kind of curious if you can share like when it's not used for good, if that's a fair mm. question. Mm. You know, music has never, or I'll say it this way. When I think about my time in the church, seriously, mm-hmm. and the things that were good and the things that were bad, I will say music was never something that gave me trauma. Mm. Okay. I would say that the music always enhanced. Mm-hmm whatever theological culture was already present. Interesting. Um, And I think something that frustrates me about the state of progressive um, churches and what they're trying to do with music. um, I think they they spend a lot of energy on tweaking old hymns, um, changing the words, which is, that isn't a bad inclination Mm -hmm. to make them more inclusive, um, to make them anti-racist. Right. Great. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say music is there to enhance and uphold um, whatever theological culture is present. So if the church isn't actively trying to be anti-racist and, queer affirming um mm-hmm. and earth loving you know if if they're not trying to if they're not already cultivating that culture it doesn't matter what the that those tweaks in the music will be empty um right so i yeah and i mean i i do i love music i think it's for me it's my job it's my passion it's the most important thing in the world and um it is it is a product you know music is a product of the environment in which it's created so i think if you're you know hiring or finding musicians to write and create uh music for your church um it's 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 more about culture making than it is about just making sure that your music has good theology so I, I want to preface this by saying, like, I'm not a musician. Appreciate music, but like, it's not. I've tried to pick up guitar here and there. It's just, it's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. So this may be, hopefully, not too of a unintelligent question. Uh, but I'm curious, like, I think what, at least from my perspective, I think what commonly gets discussed around music and church is like the styles thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like. I'm guessing you're probably old enough to perhaps remember the kind of the worship wars that happened in like the even yeah organ versus drum set right yeah. um, and like I had one I had one colleague I used to work with who came from like evangelical spaces to to my denomination I'm ordained in the Disciples of Christ and was like oh I can't believe y'all are still having the worship wars like 20 30 years later mm-hmm. um, kind of these continuing conversations about like what style the music is most appropriate in church or what most style most resonates with people. 
if I'm, I'm curious, like if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like you're saying like style. It's not so much about what style is best. It sounds like what you're saying is what, what the, it, am I hearing you right? Kind of, you're saying like what fits with what your culture and theological values are. Yeah. I think the worship boards discussion is a distraction. Mm. I think, I think it's not the main point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm willing for people to push back and argue there. Um, but you know, an organ isn't traumatizing. A drum set isn't traumatizing. An mm-hmm. electric guitar, a choir, these things, there, there is nothing inherently um, beautiful or ugly about them mm-hmm. um, or jarring even. <laughs> it's whatever theology is tied up in there. So if you have somebody who has um, trauma from a church that sang a lot of hymns, mm-hmm. Um, with an organ, um, that trauma comes from the bad theology that the church professed, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't come from the organ. Yeah. So I think it's a distraction, honestly. Um, I think it's a distraction. Hmm. So again, if I'm hearing you right, I think we could summarize if I, if I'm hearing right, saying something like, you know, whether you're going to use organ music or or piano hymns or a modern quote unquote worship band, like. It's more about the theology behind the music than the style of music itself. Yeah. And, um, you know, people love music. Music is the thing that makes them feel something in a service, right? So Mm -hmm. I get that we think that that's the main point. Yeah. But um, the music actually isn't the main point. And I'm saying this as a musician, and I love music. Yeah. The music is not the main point. (laughs) Um, I think that's what I'm trying to say. What would you say is the main point then? I think that's for the church to decide, right? Like, what is their thing? What are you trying to say? Are you trying to be an inclusive congregation? Um, Then include people. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, uh, yeah, and and the music should follow suit. That's good. That's good. Uh, What am I trying to say here? I've observed that I think in many evangelical church spaces – like it, predominantly speaking, like evangelicals wouldn't, wouldn't believe in like sacraments, right? Some would, since most evangelicals sure. are kind of Baptist light, they'd be like, we have two ordinances, bat, baptism and uh, communion, right? Yeah. So I, I don't spend a ton of time in evangelical Sunday morning spaces, but when I have, it's like, to me, I felt like they didn't even like know what to do with like baptism and communion <laughs> when they're taking place <laughs> in the worship service. And mm-hmm. it, like I observed that it almost seemed like the two sacraments, again, they wouldn't use these words, my words, are like worship, the worship music and the sermon, the message. Absolutely. Um, so again, I, I kind of think about like your thing about what's the main point and how are you structuring what you're doing around what's the main point? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think of Hillsong, right? Yeah. And um, just because, I mean, that's just such an archetype. It's so, so easy right. to- right. Um, and, uh, maybe they would say that musical worship is the main point, which is very telling because the theology of those songs is so anemic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, it's very telling. Uh, that's, I mean, that's all I have to say about that. Right. I mean, um, and whatever words are said in, in the, in the sermon, um, 
I think that I think that's and, and I mean honestly I think that in, in in spaces like Hillsong and evangelical spaces like that it's very cerebral. Mm. Um, evangelicalism is very cerebral. It's mm. very um, you know enlightenment believe ascend mm-hmm. these beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the point. And I think that um, for churches or um, denominations, traditions with a more robust you know, sacramental practice um, that's much less cerebral and much more bodily. And I think that their quote unquote main point would be a lot different than an ascension to a set of beliefs. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is good. So if I'm hearing you right, then I always like to get practical at the end. If I'm hearing you right, I'm guessing you would say something like before you're having a conversation about songs or style worship, You'd be like, what is your, what's your main point you're trying to do? Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and everything should, should work together for that main thing. In songwriting, we call that prosody, right? Mm-hmm. The words and the lyrics and the chords, everything should be working together um, to communicate the thing that you're trying to say. Um. And that works, I think, when, when you're putting together a, a ritual, a, a church service. Um, Can you and I would say, yeah, go ahead. Spell that word for me, prosody? <laughs> yeah, P-R-O-S-O-D-Y. Prosody. I mean, um, I already had to look up anemia, and I didn't want to admit that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, can you give me an example? Like, I'm curious to hear more what that looks like in practicality. Oh, yeah. So, like, um, in songwriting, um, and you can mess with it too. Like you can, you can make it go, you can break the rules to make a point too. But, mm-hmm. um, so if I'm, you know, singing about being, um, a very, okay. Very, very simply, if I'm singing about being happy, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to want it to be upbeat. I'm going to want to use these specific chords. Mm-hmm. I'm going to want it to land on the tonic. Um, I'm, you know, these, uh, things that feel, good and comfortable and, and, and at home. If I'm trying to um, sing about something that is a little tense, mm-hmm. I might mess with my syllabic stress in my lyrics. I might um, make it feel a little awkward. I might use some like dissonant chords. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's right. So all, all of the parts, the lyrics, you know, the tempo, the chord structure, the melody, all of it is working together just hmm. to, to communicate the thing yeah thanks for sharing that that's helpful yeah uh, i want to ask yeah. you a bunch more questions but for sake of time i won't on that <laughs> okay um let me ask maybe one two questions here before we take a break yeah what advice would you give to churches who are like hey we want to become more inclusive we want to become more welcoming um if i'm hearing you right sounds like you're against kind of the three-step solution and encouraging <laughs> folks to do some real work. Uh, but let me let you talk about that, not me. Yeah. Um, gosh, I would say try to stop being an inclusive church and just include people. Um, mm. <laughs> and I guess I would ask, do you even know who's in your, um, you know, pews, for lack of a better word, who's who's in your seats right now? That's Are good. they is are all of them included? Is all of them included? I think a big, um, you know, a big banner statement 
that inclusive churches like to put out there is um, all are welcome. Mm-hmm. And I always like to like to ask, do you mean every single person is welcome or every single part of you is welcome? Mm-hmm. Um, because if there are people still in your pews and you don't even know that they're grieving about that thing um, or they can't bring into the service that they are polyamorous, they can't bring it. There's no room for it, for mm-hmm. it there. There's no room for their queerness. There's no room um, for their culture. There's right. Um, I think it's really easy for churches to focus on the people that aren't in the seats and say, how do we welcome them? Yeah. How do we welcome the newcomer? And I'm just like, is every part of the people who are already there, are they welcome? Or do you have members of your congregation who can't bring a part of themselves in? And how do you make sure that they feel like they can stay, like they don't have to go? Hmm. Um, that's that's really good. Start. That's really good. So I think that kind of like, I can't think of what the word would be, but it's like that's kind of like, we, we kind of like project out there like, oh, we're going to become welcoming to those out there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good mm-hmm. observation. Okay, sure. one more final practical question. Like, if you could change anything about church music, and and I guess this is kind of me asking the question twice because I'm asking the Pope question here yeah. coming up. Uh, so maybe don't give me your full answer, but if there's something, maybe maybe simply, let me ask you this. Like, instead, like something obvious you could fix about church music, what would it be? Um. Something obvious. I think there needs to be new music, and that's not a new thing to say. Mm-hmm. I think there is new music. I think that you just have to go find it. You have to dig a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right. We're back with Spencer LaJoy. Thank you so much for this time and conversation. Really appreciate your your perspectives here. Uh, these closing questions, I always tell folks you can take these as seriously or not as you'd like to. Uh, but if you're a Pope for a day, what might you want to do? What would that day look like for you? If I were a Pope for a day. <gasps> um, 24 hours. Oh, gosh. I would say so many inflammatory things. I would say women have the right over their body. People with people with uteruses have the right to make choices mm-hmm. um, over their own bodies. And God affirms that. I would say that. And I would also say um, queer people. You are affirmed in all in in your um, consensual, compassionate concern. Uh, any any sort of um, mutually compassionate and consenting behavior, you are affirmed. Um, I think that's what I would do, and I'd f- just throw a lot of like glitter and rainbows all over the Vatican. <laughs> It'd be a mess. And that way they'd have to clean it up after the 24 hours. Were yeah. Over. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure you want to meet or bring back to life. Um, Athanasius. Oh yeah. I really like when he said that the, the um, Jesus or God became man so that man could be divine. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Oh, you had to have people who, on here who have said just the pandemic, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, obviously. Okay. Mm. Um, hopes for the future of Christianity. I hope it 
this is hard because I, I, I'm not, I don't consider myself in it anymore. Sure. Um, I hope that Christianity, if it ever fizzles out completely, I hope that people look back on it and say that, that, that it was about love. Mm. Um, and if it doesn't fizzle, um, I hope it becomes about love. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I'm also thinking uh, more non-seriously about glitter is just a mess to clean up. So your legacy <laughs> would just be there for some time. I know. that. That's the point. Yeah. yeah it's good. Smart. Make a mess. Thank you. Share if you would uh, where people can uh, connect with you online, find your music, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, if you... Go to my website, spencerlajoy.com. All the links and everything should be there. Um, Patreon is a way that I fund my career, and it's a really special place. So it's just patreon.com slash spencerlajoy. Um, or just follow me on social media. Instagram, I'm really active, spencerlajoy. Awesome. Well, again, really appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing your per- perspectives. I always leave folks with a word of peace, so may God's peace be with you. Thank you, Lauren. Peace to you as well. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace.